Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Amen. Thank you, Bill. I always know I've dressed well when I dress like Bill Cahuzac. So... <laughs> So we're, do, we're both doing well today. Um, good morning, everyone. It is such a joy to be with you today on this very, very wet October Sunday. And today, I'm going to be carrying on and actually finishing our series that we've been in. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know we have been deep in the book of Acts, looking at a series called Foundations, really thinking about the foundations of our Christian faith and the early church. And the title that I have been given to speak on today Wait for it, because it's quite an epic one. So the title that we are thinking about today is The Confrontation of Worlds. That's like quite a big, that's quite big, isn't it? So um, I don't know, it feels like it's got like an epic flavor to it, doesn't it? Like something from like Lord of the Rings and the Confrontation of Worlds. So I don't know if maybe Adam and Peter Burton were like deep in Middle Earth when they came up with this. Probably. They usually are, those two pack of nerds that they are. (laughs) So the confrontation of worlds is what we're going after today. And honestly, folks, it's quite a heavy one. So (laughs) strap in, um, as it were, is all I can say. But welcome, and I'm glad you're here. And I hope that we don't scare you away forever if it is your first time. The book of Acts makes it really, really clear that following Jesus is an amazing thing. It is going to satisfy your soul. It is going to give your life meaning, hope, and a future. It is the only path to God, and therefore it is the only pathway to a flourishing life. But the book of Acts is also very clear about one thing, which I think we are not always quite so clear about in our sort of comfortable Western 21st century context. And it is this. Following Jesus is going to put you into conflict with the world. Or as theologian Jürgen Moltmann puts it, peace with God means conflict with the world. Now what on earth does he mean by that? Well, I think what he is trying to convey is that there are forces of darkness in this world I don't need to convince you of that fact. All you need to do is look at the news or walk outside of your front door. There is darkness in this world. And then there is the coming kingdom of Jesus, which is the kingdom of light. And when we choose to follow Jesus, what we do is we align ourselves with his kingdom. And this way, we actually put ourselves in conflict with anything in this world, any ideology, any practice, any system, any structure, which is not in line with Jesus' kingdom. And we see this in the life and ministry of Jesus. As he walks around healing the sick, 
opening blind eyes, preaching good news to the poor and the oppressed. And we read that and we think, wow, what an amazing man. People are getting better. People are seeing that weren't able to before. But the thing we often miss is that for every soul who rejoiced in Jesus, there were many more who despised him. For every person who followed him, there were others who eventually killed him. There was a constant, vicious pushback to Jesus at every turn from both natural and supernatural forces. And the same fate lay in store for Jesus' followers. The message of Jesus was not an add-on to a respectable lifestyle, right? Like Jesus didn't walk around saying, you know, come accept me as a kind of a conservatory add-on to the soul of your life. Like, come and, and, and accept me and you'll get like a sort of a patio extension to how things were. Jesus says, come follow me and I am going to rebuild the very foundations of your life. I'm going to completely reorient your lifestyle into the way of the kingdom. Come follow me. And I will be with you. But come follow me where that is going to lead you. It was a complete reorientation from the ways of the world, the systems of the world, the ways of the empire, towards the ways of Jesus. He was the light of the world. But even as the light shone, there were forces of darkness crouching at every threshold. And today, as we continue to live in that tension, as we walk in Jesus' ways, we follow the light of the world, but the reality is darkness is still plain to see all around us, across our world and in the systems and empires of our day. And until Jesus returns, this confrontation of worlds continues to battle itself out. And in this way, there's really no neutral ground Good morning, welcome to church, happy Sunday. There's no neutral ground. Everywhere we plant our feet exists within this tension of the unfolding and expanding kingdom of God and the forces of darkness which seek to quench it. Jesus says this in Matthew 12, and I love this translation by Eugene Peterson. This is Jesus talking. This is war and there is no neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you are the enemy. If you're not helping, you're making things worse. Or as C.S. Lewis says, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. As we follow Jesus, we will at some point find ourselves in conflict with the world. I love it, you guys, when my faith is like beautiful and attractive and palatable. <laughs> and it is beautiful and attractive. Following Jesus is the path to, to a flourishing life. But it isn't always going to be palatable. It shouldn't always be palatable because the ways of the world are different to the ways of Jesus. And if our lifestyles are indistinguishable from those around us, we have to ask, who are we really following? That line we were just singing, we exalt you above all other gods. 
Like, we're crazy if we think we can come in here and sing that like it's a nice lullaby. That is a battle cry. We exalt you above every other God. You know, and when we think of things like Christmas kindness, like that's a beautiful thing. And we go and we give out shoes and we give out presents to kids who otherwise weren't going to get them. And that, that in itself can be quite palatable. But what about when we start to swim further upstream and ask questions about the systems and the powers and the structures, which mean that there are kids on our doorstep that don't have shoes and that don't have gifts? Like it gets a little bit more challenging when we start to ask those questions or even worse, what role have I played in that? And so following Jesus... There are going to be times and there are going to be moments when it puts us in conflict with the structures and the empires of our day. In Acts 17, some of the ruling authorities refer to the disciples as those who are turning the world upside down. And, you know, we often preached on that. I have done it myself and we kind of think, wow, like turn the world upside down for Jesus. And, and that is our calling. And it's it's beautiful, but it's not beautiful if you actually really like the world the way it is. Like, if you really like the world the way it is, if the, the systems and empires and structures of the world are actually serving you really well right now, in that case, turning the world upside down is like, actually, if you could just leave the furniture as you find it, that would be better. And yet Jesus walks in and he sees oppression and he sees people suffering and he turns the furniture upside down. And so as his followers, we are called to do the same. And it's going to be difficult at times and it's going to cost us something. It means turning away from the idols of the world. Following Jesus means making choices about what we do with our finances, how we act towards others how we define our sexual ethics. Every choice we make now gets defined through the lens of Jesus. Not what looks attractive, acceptable, or successful in the eyes of the world. And the book of Acts is really clear. This is going to land us in trouble. Peace with God means conflict with the world. In John 16, Jesus promises this. In this world, you will have trouble. It's not the verse that you want to stick up on your fridge or on your pillow, is it? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. In the confrontation of worlds, Jesus will have the last say. He has had the last say. But for now, what we can expect is clear. You will have trouble. And we need to be really clear about that because sometimes we do a bit of false marketing up here in church and it's easy to sit there and think, if I follow Jesus, everything is going to get better. And it, it is, it's also going to get you in trouble. It's also going to cost you something. It's also going to be challenging at times. And so we see this in the book of Acts. We see that the church begins to grow and the gospel begins to spread. And as this happens, the empires of the day, the authorities and the powers, they become very uncomfortable with the Jesus followers. They become very uncomfortable with the exclusive message that they are carrying, which is what? 
Jesus is Lord and no one else, no other gods. This is a completely intolerant message. Jesus is Lord and that is it. And they become very, very uncomfortable with this exclusive message. The authorities and powers of our world are equally uncomfortable with that message, I would suggest. And so the church in the book of Acts, they find themselves in this direct confrontation with the world and the Christians begin to get persecuted. And we know from the scriptures and we know from history that this persecution intensifies and continues. There are many accounts in here in the Bible of the disciples being imprisoned, tortured and killed for their faith. And yet despite this, the church grew and grew and began to spread to every corner of the globe. I love it. Acts chapter 12 begins with the line, Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. That's how that chapter starts. And it ends like this. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Peace with God means conflict with the world, but this conflict did not result in a quieting or lessening or minimizing of the message of Jesus anything, the gospel spread faster and faster. Now, this persecution is something that Jesus promised would happen to his followers. Listen to his words in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if you look closely at this passage, why are people being persecuted? If you look at it closely, they are being persecuted because of righteousness and because of Jesus, because of loyalty to Jesus, because of righteousness and loyalty to Jesus. Jesus is saying, come and follow me. And what that's going to do in your life is that is going to produce a righteousness that offends the world. You're going to hold up a mirror. You're going to have a righteousness that offends the world. And you're going to have a loyalty to me that is going to cost you something. To align with Jesus is to align against evil. And that ushers you into a conflict. And it is the conflict of the ages. Following Jesus is incredible. He is worth every moment of suffering that comes with following him. But can I be really honest? I think as preachers, we spend so much time talking about like, yes, count the cost and count the cost. And, but Jesus is worth it. We kind of spend loads of time on the, but Jesus is worth it part. And we sometimes miss the fact that following Jesus, it is going to be difficult at times. It's going to be costly. It's going to be challenging. And it's maybe not that physical persecution that we've seen throughout history and that we know happens across the world today. For most of us, it's not going to be physical persecution, but like people are maybe going to insult you. People are maybe going to speak badly of you. And the trouble is, if we have a faith that is built on the benefits of following Jesus, then when the challenge comes, we don't know how to hold on to our faith. 
or even that we should, if Jesus is kind of an add-on who benefits our lives, when that benefit no longer feels like a benefit, if it no longer serves us, like why have it? Does that make sense? And, but if Jesus is truly central, if we've really rebuilt the foundations of our lives upon him rather than he's the conservatory, then even when it costs us something, we're willing to do it. We're willing to pay the cost. And so I just want to pose the question this morning to us, and I know it's a heavy one, but where is your faith in Jesus putting you in a place of confrontation with the world today? Like, where in your context might this be happening? Where might Jesus need you to speak up a little bit more about your faith? Where might Jesus need you to take a little bit of a hit in your popularity, maybe? You know, we're undoubtedly moving into a time in history when we're going to face more and more cultural resistance and face persecution if we follow the exclusive claims of Jesus. There is a legitimate secularism that is pushing faith out of the public space. And so if we want to obey Jesus' teachings, I think we are going to continue to run into resistance. So how can we have a persecution-proof faith? Well, I wanted to, to share with you guys, I had a, a moment a couple of weeks ago, I met this amazing guy, a guy called Farshid, who came to faith in Iran, faced very obvious physical persecution for his faith. And I met him a few weeks ago because I was um, recording a podcast, I was hosting a podcast and hearing his story. And as he was sharing his story of being imprisoned, physically imprisoned for his faith in Jesus, there was like this holy silence that kind of fell in the studio. And I found myself weeping at his story and not weeping over the pain that he had suffered, but weeping over the Jesus who he is so clear was worth every minute of it. It's astounding, isn't it? When we... When we um, follow Jesus, when we find these moments when someone says, I give up everything, and he was more than worth it. And so hearing his story, I thought, I just, I really want all you guys to hear it too. So what we've done is we've actually had a chat with Farshid. Amazingly, Louise Yegnazar um, was out in Turkey this week with Farshid at a conference. And so I said, Louise, could you please just capture a little moment of his story that we could hear at Emmaus to inspire us about this idea of a costly faith that's worth something. So I would love it if you wouldn't mind just turning your eyes to the screen and we're going to hear from Farshid. Well, good morning Emmaus Road. I am so happy to be able to introduce to you today a very dear friend of mine, Farshid Fati, who David and I have known for 23 years now. And uh, Farshid, we would just love to um, hear more of your story. I know your, your story and we've journeyed together through many different seasons, but uh, we would be so honoured to hear your story now. So Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Actually, honour is mine. <laughs> but yes, um, I was born in a Muslim family in Iran right after the Islamic Revolution. Uh, and then 
in 1995, my older brother, who was going through a very difficult time, he met the Lord, he, his life started to transform. And because of that, for the first time, I started to read the New Testament, which belongs to my brother. Of course, I was reading him in private. I didn't want him to know I'm interested about that. And then after that, I went to the church in Tehran, in the, in the capital. Actually, I didn't go to the church to give my love to the Lord. But when I get there, they, they didn't let us go to the main hall. They took us to the basement. Two brothers shared the good news with us. And then one of them, he asked me, now, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And then I said, yes. So I repented, even though I didn't know anything about the real meaning of repentance or the joy of the Holy Spirit. But I remember as soon as we came out from the church, I said to my friend that, I feel something is moving in me. That was an unexplainable joy. Mm -hmm. So we started to run as fast as we can at the age of 17. Mm -hmm. This is how my journey started with the Lord 20, almost 27 years ago in April 1996. And from that time you were then began serving and working uh, with the church in Iran? Yeah, you know, about a year after that, when I was 18, I started to serve the Lord among the kids in the church. I became Sunday school teacher, later on a worship leader, but I never had a desire to serve the Lord as a full-time minister until the earthquake happened in one of our, one of the city in Iran, city of Bam, maybe you heard about that. And over 30,000 people died in 12 seconds. So that was in 19... It was in December 2003. Okay. Yes, my daughter was three months in those days. So I went to BAM to serve in earthquake area. I went there to stay for one week, but mm -hmm. I stayed for one year. Wow. And this is how I entered to the full-time ministry with Elam Ministry. I'm with Elam now for 20 years. And then after that... Um, I came to England to study and I came back to Iran and I started planting church in 2005 till 2010. Wow. And so, of course, throughout all that time serving the church in Iran, it was under a certain level of pressure. You were not free to share the gospel or uh, be a pastor. Yeah. Of course, we were not free under the law. Yeah. But we were free in Christ, so we, were, we, we decided to listen to Christ, no matter what the consequences. Yeah. Yes, yeah, as I, you know, when we started with two families in my home as an underground church, yeah. from two family to four family, ten family, and in five years we planted 48 churches in, wow. the, in 20 cities in Iran um, until I got arrested. Uh, in December 2010, and because of that, I had to spend five years in prison. So, um, we want to certainly hear more about that, Farshid, and, and just to think back to the day that you were actually arrested, can you just tell us a little bit more about, like, what was that moment when you were arrested or you found out you were going to be arrested? What was that moment like? Well, of course it was a scary, but it was not very much surprising. Because since I became a Christian, in, you know, as a Christian in Iran, I knew suffering is going to be a part of Christian faith. Mm. So in, in, in some case, it was normal. We knew one day it's coming, but it was a scary. But what was 
interesting for me is God gave me a chance to come out of the house they were coming to arrest us. That's another story. It was like a miracle. But then it was like Lord gave me a, an option. Are you coming to following me in somewhere else in a different way? And I had a chance to say yes or no. But I decided to say yes. That's why uh, even though I came out from that house, when I saw they arrested all of our pastors, and I was like the main pastor, like the senior pastor. So, so that I, was how many pastors? They actually arrested 14 pastors, but more than 120 minister team and also some church members. So I came back. I remember my knee was shaking mm -hmm. when I was coming back and I wanted to turn myself in because I didn't know what is going to happen. I said goodbye to my daughter and to my son. So, and how old were they at the time? My daughter was seven in that day. And my son, it was five days before his second birthday. Oh. Let's say two years old. Mm. And because of that, I haven't seen my daughter for 10 years. Um, and I met my son after 12 years, just last Christmas. Wow. So from that time, and for 10 years, you did not see your daughter. And then that was basically most of your son's life you have yeah. until last year. Yeah. That's... That was painful. That was painful. I imagine. I can tell you, you know, I have experienced many things in prison. For example, I was in solitary confinement for 361 days, almost a year. And uh, I haven't seen myself in the mirror or many, many things. They, they broke my toe, they beat me. But, but the most painful part for me was being far from my loved ones, especially my children. Mm. Not to receive anything from them, but it was so painful for me that I cannot be for them. Mm. You know, I think this is the same things I think between God and us. It's going to be maybe painful for him when he, when we don't let him to be for us. Mm. This is, this is what I learned in prison because I just want to be for them and yeah. bless them and make their life better. But you couldn't even really communicate much with them. Well, um, while I was in solitary, sometimes they were giving me a chance mm. until they were in Iran. I had a chance to call them. Yeah. But later when they moved from Iran, it was hard to find them, but still, few times a year, I could call them. Yeah. In I, an illegal way, of course, in, in prison. <laughs> I remember, yeah. I remember the illegal way. Yeah. <laughs> so Farshid John, you brushed over the fact, because clearly this is where you had experienced real suffering, but you brushed over the fact that actually you also endured things like physical uh, beating or your toe was broken. Yeah. So, um, was there anything else that you really experienced, like maybe um, good and bad? Where did you see God in prison in that experience? Well, I have seen him, I have experienced him in different ways. For example, I remember one day I was just sitting in my cell, my cell was two meter to two meter, and I felt a cool winds goes through my heart for no reason. So I started to stand and dancing and worshiping. And I was, I was thinking maybe someone or a group of people or in a church, they were praying for me. So he revealed himself in different ways. But I, I realized after all these things, if I can say one thing about all of that, I can say I discovered somehow 
suffering is the greatest manifestation of love. Mm. I mean, if we want to see how deeply in love with someone, we have to see how far we are ready to suffer for that someone. This is, this is I can say. And when people, they are telling me, you were faithful to God, you stood for God, I'm, I'm trying to correct them and tell them the truth because that's not the truth. The truth is, he was faithful to me. He stood for me. He fought it for me. Yeah. He revealed himself to me. So I cannot find my part in that picture. Mm. That's so powerful. Thank you. So um, at the moment, we're in a series studying the book of Acts. Um, and we're looking about the confrontation between the kingdoms of darkness and light. So in what was obviously such a dark context, how did you remain hopeful that light could and would win? You know, you mentioned about the confrontation between darkness and light. What I re learned actually in prison is if we really want to taste, to have a different taste of grace, mm -hmm. we have to confront the darkness. Mm -hmm. Or sometime we have to go through the darkness mm -hmm. or going to the dark places. For example, when they sent me from Evin prison to Rajoisha prison, Rajoisha prison was so dark. You can imagine near five, 6,000 people, they were, more than 90% of them, they were waiting for their execution day. Wow. So they were going to execute all of them. That's why I'm saying that was a very dark place. But in that dark place, I can tell you the taste of his grace for me was different, mm -hmm. totally different. And I, I realized there is a special grace for the special moment. Right. It's like you are going to enter to a tunnel. And one step before you enter to the tunnel, you don't have that special grace. But as soon as you put your foot on that tunnel, mm -hmm. that special grace covers you. And I don't know when you come out, you still have it or no. I don't know. But I really believe in a special grace for a special moment. This is... This is my experience from that confrontation. That's so powerful. Is there one memory, one story that you have that really highlights that kind of experience of that grace? Maybe it's how someone came to Christ in... Actually, I, I led five, six people to the Lord and uh, that was very interesting. They put me in a dark place and I, before that, I was traveling, going to some other part of the world, preaching the gospel. But when they put me there in a dark place, I didn't have any chance to travel. But I remember I was sharing the good news with a guy from South Korea. He was an atheist guy in Evin prison. An atheist in, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. in Iran? Yeah, yeah. Right. because he was, because they arrested him under the accusation of being a spy. Okay. And while I was sharing Bible with him, I saw another guy from Slovenia. Yeah. He was also there under the accusation of being a spy. And when I was sharing, I saw him in tears. The other guy from Slovenia. I don't know exactly where the Slovenia is. <laughs> but then I turned to this guy because when I was sharing, he was crying. And I said, are you Christian? He said, well, I was born in a Catholic family, but I never heard these things that you're sharing. Wow. And then I started to share the good news with him. And then I asked him, now, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And then he said, yes. So he repented on that day. I gave him an English Bible I had in prison. And then I started to discipling him. And then he got released after two, three months. And then I told him, 
His name was Matthew. I said, Matthew, maybe you came here just to receive the salvation. Wow. But what I'm saying is I was in a dark place. I was in chain. But as Paul said, the word of God is not in chain. Amen. So this is my experience that I can, you can be in a dark place. Yeah. You can be in chain. But still, his word is the light and the word of God is not in chain. Amen. Amen. Farshid, thank you so much. My pleasure. We just have one final question. Sure. Um, because uh, very shortly, on the 5th of November, it's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And anyway, we want to pray at all times for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted around the world. So how... From your experience, how do you now pray for others who are being persecuted for your for their faith? And obviously, you're still serving in a context where you can be persecuted for your faith. So, um, how would you advise us at Mayus Road? Um, how would you advise us to pray? Well, the main things actually I am praying also is I think now is the time for our country in Iran that this dark wall should fall down. Let's pray like those who were around the wall of Jericho. They, they shout and the wall fall down. I think after 44 years, after the Islamic revolution, after this wall should fall down because I can see millions of people are going to run to the kingdom of God. So that's, that's one of the things that we can pray. And also praying may the Lord prepare more leaders, more mature believers, because when this fall, fall down, who is going to feed them? Who is going to help them? I think, I think our main job is going to start after that. That's why we need really faithful people, believers, leaders, pastors to be ready for the harvest. Well, so walls to fall down across yes. the world and um, leaders to be raised up for the harvest. Yeah, yeah. This is the thing, I think. That's really helpful. Thank you. My Fashid, pleasure. I love you so much. Love Thank you, you for, for being with my friends and family <laughs> at Emmaus Road. Hope to meet you soon from <laughs> near in UK. Thank you so much. Thank you. A huge thank you to Farshid for sharing his story. It is remarkable, isn't it? That just that, that joy. And I think Farshid used the phrase unexplainable joy. It doesn't make any sense. And yet that is his living, breathing testimony. And I think that picture of him, you know, in solitary confinement, a two by two meter cell, dancing with joy. That image is one that will stay with me for a long time. So I want to just wrap up with um, just like two thoughts on how on earth Jesus can say, because we started at the beginning, we looked at Matthew 5, where Jesus says, rejoice when you face persecution. And you can see that in Farshid, you can see the joy, the rejoicing in him. How do we find ourselves like able to rejoice when this stuff happens to us? And also, how do we begin to face the prospect of some of these challenging moments of persecution that we might face in whatever it looks like in our context? And I think 
crucially, if we want to be people who are going to start, like truly stand up for what we believe in and, and follow Jesus even into the darkness, I think crucially we really need to break the fear of human opinion. Like I know for me, it's not going to be a fear of like something physical or someone knocking on my door to take me to prison, but that fear of human opinion, like it does grip me, it grips my heart and it makes me afraid. And I think that's something that if we truly want to be following Jesus wherever he takes us, we need to try and let our popularity come into question sometimes. Jesus himself says this, Luke 6, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. I'm like, oh, I really like it when everyone speaks well of me. (laughs) That's really my sweet spot. But that's not the sweet spot of the kingdom. Like, we are going to be offensive sometimes. And so we need to get rid of that fear of of human opinion. Farshid said, we are not free under the law, but we are free in Christ. So we had to listen to Christ no matter the circumstances. And it's that kind of approach that leads him to plant 48 churches in 20 cities across Iran in the span of five years, like whatever the cost, no matter the circumstances. So break the fear of human opinion. And secondly, trust that grace will come when you need it. And I love that from Shop Farshid's story and actually that image of the tunnel and that sense of like you might not have it the minute before you step out, but step into it and the trust that grace will carry you. And then why can we be glad? Well, I think persecution and suffering are going to produce a deep spiritual formation in us into the image of Christ. We love the the image of Christ as the resurrected one, but he's also the crucified one. And he says, pick up your cross. And so as we obey him and we trust him and we follow him, even when it costs us something, we get formed into his image. Often the habits that we have in our spiritual formation, they enable us to believe the right things in our heads, but they can leave our hearts and our lives kind of untouched. But when we, when we face persecution, it kind of sharpens that contrast when we really have the opportunity to develop Christ-like character. And secondly, we get to experience the joy of faithfulness. Like Farshid was saying, we experience the true depths of our love for Jesus. And we experience the true depths of his faithfulness to us. Wasn't that so challenging when Farshid said that? Of like, I see no part of that in me. Like, wow, you were faithful to Christ. He was faithful to me. And truly, that is the experience. When we step out, we realize that he is faithful. And we experience that in a whole new way. There's something about being faithful to Jesus, even when it costs us something, that drives us deeper into the reality that he is truly worth everything. And finally, we can have joy even in persecution because we inherit the kingdom and we anticipate the kingdom and we know that the light is coming. We are in a confrontation of worlds. We are going to face trouble and persecution, but we are the people of the light and the light is dawning and expanding and will one day cover the whole earth. And so even in our darkest moments, we can relish the joy of that inheritance that is coming to us. St. Francis of Assisi said, All the darkness of the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. 
And Jesus has lit the candle in our world and it will never burn out. Or as Farshid said, you can be in a dark place, you can be in chains, but still his word is light and the light of God is not in chains. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for us and hand back to Bill. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the light of the world. And God, although we see the reality of darkness and we feel the grip of it, even in our lives, we feel the tension, we feel the confrontation, we thank you that you are the light that will never be extinguished. And Jesus, I want to pray right now that you would fill each and every one of us here with courage. God, give us the courage to follow you, to not just add you into our lives, but to rebuild our entire universe around you and your truth and your gospel, that we might follow you even to the ends of the earth, wherever you're calling us to go, whatever it might cost us. Jesus, we ask for courage today, and we pray that you would use each one of us in this room to spread the light of your gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen.